When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following is a Podcast One Minnesota production. For those who simply can't get enough talk about the Vikings, we present Bonus Chatter. Bonus chatter about your favorite team that's unscripted, unfiltered, and uninterrupted. This is another edition of 1500 ESPN's Purple Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Purple Podcast. Matthew Collar here with you and joining me from Pro Football Focus is Eric Eager. Eric, how are you? I'm well. How about you? I'm doing great. Before we get started and look at Kirk Cousins and uh, some of the other places that former Vikings quarterbacks landed and what free agency might mean to the division, uh, maybe you can help me out with a little something that I see on Twitter almost every day still. And I thought we had moved past this, Eric, which is people debating what pro football focus grades mean to free agent analysis. So maybe you could just Give a little of your thoughts on the debates between people who watch a ton of uh, game tape or look at other statistics and uh, what pro football focus grades kind of mean to the free agency process. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a great question because, you know, clearly there are going to be situations where, you know, it's unequivocal who the best player is, right? When we have, you know, a player with like an 80 grade, and another player with a 40 grade, it's probably fairly certain that the player with the 80 grade is going to do better sort of scheme independent than the 40 player. But I do think it, 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 it's, it's important to know context. It's important to know, you know, scheme to the degree that we can. And it's important to know like what kind of role the player is going to have on a team before sort of determining <clears throat> whether a free agent signing is sort of a good one or a bad one. Right. So when we look at somebody like, we look at somebody like Jarek McKinnon, for example. He graded fantastically for the Vikings in 2017, but his role was such that he was a sort of a you know a dual back playing playing some of the time with Latavius Murray playing the other time, catching the ball in the backfield, um, uh, you know, and and you know really providing that kind of player. And so when San Francisco signs him, you look at his grade and you're like, well, okay, I need to look and make sure. And we we wrote about this for PFF, like. When his team his team's offensive line blocked well, he ran well. When his team his team's offensive line blocked poorly, he didn't run it quite as well, right? And so, and and a lot of our grading is somewhat opportunity based. So, you know, we go ahead and kind of put that context there. Um, how does how does a guy do when he's been a feature back? How does a guy do when he's a complementary back? How does a, a guard do when he only does outside zone run? You know, outside zone schemes 
versus how he does in sort of like man schemes and things like that. All that sort of like football context, you really have to, uh, you know, impart, you know, because what our grade is based based upon what the guy did in the in in terms of what he was asked uh, with his previous team. Right, and then of course there's other things that go into it too, and and one of those is sample size. So for certain positions. Uh, maybe it would take a couple of years to really have a, a true idea what that player might look at like. Uh, maybe, say, for example, a cornerback where you see from year to year, if you give up one or two more touchdowns than you did before, your grade might be a lot lower than it than it was. Or even your statistics, I see those cited a lot now of, hey, this guy only gives up a 75 quarterback rating when they throw at him. But, you know, it's based on 60 targets or something like that. Whereas quarterback stats and throwing statistics sometimes don't even really tell us the truth over a year or multiple years, much less over 67 throws in somebody's direction. So it, it becomes a little bit challenging when you're you as a reporter, for example, you want to cite these statistics because they're more information for fans. But you always have to parse those out and try to ask yourself what they really mean. Yeah, I mean, that's a great point. And, and, you know, knowing what types of things in football are more stable than other types of things is hugely important, right? So, uh, you know, for example, like our pressure uh, statistics, our grades on defensive linemen are more stable than, you know, players near the end of the play, as you said, where, you know, a target, you know, if a guy tips a ball and it ends up getting intercepted, then that cornerback, his passer rating against is going to be a lot lower than if, that ball was tipped in and ended up being a touchdown, right? So those like big swings, you know, things like passer rating are just unstable in general because they depend a ton on touchdowns and interceptions, when aren't, which aren't particularly sticky year to year. Um, whereas things like pressure, you're sort of more getting down to the process of the matter. Can a guy beat the player in front of him mm-hmm. on a repeated basis? And, and you know, I think I do. I do think that it's important to look at that and say, okay, did this one cornerback, so Patrick Robinson being the classic example a guy who's kind of been average or below that most of his career in a fantastic year with Philadelphia, how much of that is noise and how much of that is him simply turning it around. Um, I'm going to be far more likely to bet on a defensive lineman if he, you know, you see his grade sort of steadily increasing. We know that that's more indicative of what will happen in the future. It's sort of those context things I think we need to be, you know, as an analytics community, we just need to be more upfront about and and, and better uh, with. I would also say this, too, that a lot of the players that grade extremely well, they are the ones that end up getting paid by NFL teams. And the NFL teams are usually doing it. 30 NFL teams work with Pro Football Focus, but the teams are usually doing it based on what their scouts see and what they see going through on tape. And they're looking at the same tape as the people who are doing the grades. So when Andrew Norwell is one of your highest graded offensive lineman and then the Jacksonville Jaguars pay him a ton of money. Uh, I think that you sort of see um, that doesn't prove that, you know, every grade is perfect, but it says if a player is clearly grading toward the top of the league, that it's pretty likely that uh, NFL personnel is seeing a lot of the same thing and it's giving us an accurate depiction. So I, I thought we would, we would run through that because I see it a lot talked about and I think it's something fascinating and um, there are some people who have dismissed pro football focus because they don't 
agree with one grade or another that they've seen. And I think usually you can find those reasons why uh, we talked about with someone like uh, Pat Elfline and, and Nick Easton did not have great grades, but one of the things this year was they faced, I believe it was 11 of the top 20 defensive tackles. I mean, they just had this murderer's row of defensive tackles. So they're, they might've gotten beat pretty badly sometimes, but really held their own against the Gerald McCoys and Brandon Williams of the league. So you, you can always have to keep those things in mind, but um, we, we could go on about that for some time, but I want to get takes from you instead, Eric, that bring uh, your analytic knowledge in, into the picture here. And we have to start with your thought on the Vikings signing Kirk cousins. And the biggest question I don't think is whether Kirk cousins can provide better quarterback play than the Vikings got last year because Case Keenum's numbers, his rating was in the top 10, his pro football focus grade was in the top 10. It's whether Cousins can be bet on as the quarterback who will give consistency to that position and a consistent performance that's at that level. Do you see that from Kirk Cousins? Right. I I do think that they're going to get some consistent play out of Cousins from the perspective of, you're going to know that he's going to be somewhere between probably the 10th and 20th best quarterback in the league, which is a wide margin. But honestly, like, you know, like you said with Keenum, he was a top 10 quarterback the previous season. He was probably a bottom 10 quarterback. So you're going to get that sort of like consistency. And I think the question I think becomes, right. You know, when you sort of pay for that, right. When you pay the premium that the Vikings have paid for that, um, do you do you have enough to ensure that you're going to get him to the you know to the edges of that you know you know top ten quarterback group where you can actually win a Super Bowl and I you know because it, it's clear like when Cousins has the supporting cast of players like Jordan Reed and and uh, Vernon Davis and uh, Pierre Garcon I think he didn't drop a pass in 2016 from Cousins. Uh, Deshaun Jackson, he's a, you know near that top ten, but then when you take some of that away from him, he still had a relatively decent, you know, it's Chris Thompson for example, Vernon uh, Davis. But when you take some of that away from him, he drops all the way down uh, to 19th in our grading, and and you know kind of bottom third in what we've called like big, you know, NFL throws, kind of throws that translate better at the NFL level uh, than sort of like dump offs and screens and stuff. So the Vikings are clearly paying for you know that kind of certainty. And then the question becomes is, okay, if you buy that certainty, are you going to be able to put players around Cousins that are going to perform at a level that they did for Keenum to get him uh, to that sort of next level? And, you know, I just – I'm a little bit skeptical of, of that. Maybe not for 20, 2018, I, you know, I think, you know, but at the same time, if you're making one-year bets on kind of winning the Super Bowl, which has sort of has to be the like, you know, next step given they were in the NFC Championship game a season ago – uh, that seems uh, a little speculative to me. Well, that's how uh, Judd Zolged, our friend on the Purple Podcast, has looked at it as sort of an all-in move for 2018. And, and my question for you, Eric, is how does this supporting cast for the Vikings compare to the 2016 supporting cast for 
uh, Kirk Cousins in Washington. I, I have heard a few people say that he didn't have a good supporting cast, but I, I guess I would have to strongly disagree, especially for that 2016 team where I, I thought that they were stacked at, at a lot of different positions, especially it was on display when they beat the Vikings and Vernon Davis caught a touchdown, and they, I thought they were very good. Uh, so is it better? Is it worse? Should we expect the best of Kirk Cousins because it's comparable? Where do you stand on that? Yeah, so the Vikings supporting cast in 2017 was one of the best that we've tracked at PFF. Um, Washington's was among that type of group in 2016. Um, if you go up to 2015, you're talking about sort of the same thing there. Um, so, you know, I think they're pretty comparable. If you look at, you know, the tight ends for, for Washington are certainly better um, than than what the Vikings currently have. Um at their best, I think Pierre Garcon uh, was is a far, you know, vastly underrated wide receiver, um, and then and then uh, Deshaun Jackson is kind of an over the top player that the Vikings don't have, uh, and then in the running game, I think Chris Thompson provides a pass catcher that the Vikings really haven't had he, as good as McKinnon was, as good as Dalvin Cook could be. Cousins had a, a fair amount to work with, not to mention an offensive line that at its best is, is I think very superior. Uh, to what to what the Vikings have had and will have uh, next season with you know Trent Williams and Brandon Sheriff and those kind of players, I think that the you know Cousins you know was standing on a pretty good foundation and, and when that foundation started to crack even a little bit, we, we sort of saw uh, you know what could happen uh, to his production. Not his numbers, not not the volumes hashtag volume stats that we like, but sort of that play by play grading, uh, team success, all those things, offensive success. Those kinds of things, you know, we, we did see a drop off with Cousins when that foundation sort of uh, began to crumble a little bit. So let me ask you about those 4,000-yard seasons because I, I've tried my best uh, to make the point that fantasy stats aren't real football, that they don't really equate to winning, and that goes for a lot of things. I mean, receivers, somebody was giving me a hard time that Stephon Diggs isn't a 1,000-yard receiver, and, like, that's – Okay, yeah, sure, but he's also, like, his efficiency in terms of when you throw him the football is about as good as anybody in the NFL, and also his route running is uh, across the league looked at as one of the best in the league and his hands and he doesn't drop the ball and, and all these things that if he was the only receiver on the team, he'd easily have a thousand yards. Um, but he's got another wide receiver who's very good as well. So th- those are some of the lies that fantasy stats can tell us. If you, if I was to say to you, you have to give me three stats to tell me about, Kirk Cousins, and I know that you look at probably 20 if you're going to look at a quarterback or more, but what are the ones that fans should take a look at when they're trying to figure out if a quarterback is really good or not? There are a lot of of middle-of-the-road quarterbacks that you could argue about, guys like Matt Stafford and Kirk Cousins. So instead of looking at the yard totals or the touchdowns and interceptions that we've been over with Teddy Bridgewater, how would you do that? Yeah, I mean, one of them, and and this is actually like the stability of this metric isn't 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 particularly high, um, but what I think it does is it sort of contextualizes things. Is, is how you know, especially if a guy actually is consistent in this way, how good is he on third down and six or longer, let's say? Um, and Cousins, you know, he's had four years where we've had enough data to track him, and we do clustering analysis, and many times he sort of ends up in that second tier, you know, where where good players end up. He's never ended up in a T 
tier higher than third on third and long. So how does he do? How does he do when the other team knows he's going to pass? How does he do when you know when when the deck you know is stacked that way for him? Um, and you know, I think that's a huge one. I also think looking at his split when throwing when under pressure and throwing with clean is huge. You know, throwing when clean is stable, throwing when pressure does not. You oftentimes get you know quarterbacks who you know have a substantial sort of like number of uh, you know. So I, I take Teddy Bridgewater for example. In 2015, 50% of his dropbacks were under pressure. So you're 50% of his throws are not going to be statistically translatable to to subsequent seasons just because it's noisy. And then he does okay. You know he does poorly on those, but then sort of shuffles the deck. In 2015, for example, Cousins had a clean pocket 68% of the time, right? So we're getting to see him in those scenarios, you know, relatively high. And then, you know, when he's under pressure, well, that's obviously going to lower his, his data, but it's going to lower his less than, than those people around him. So I like sort of looking at kind of his pressure, you know, when he you know his splits went under pressure and his splits when, when kept clean. And then sort of the same thing also with play action without play action. We noticed there was that article on 538 about how good Cousins was. Uh, when you know using two tight ends or whatever, and and on our podcast, the PFF forecast, we looked at that and we saw, well, actually that was really just play action versus not play action, and we know play action yards per attempt are literally negatively correlated year to year. So it's one of the most noisy stats you can have when you go from a guy like Sean McVay, who's a brilliant offensive mind, to a guy, uh, you know, the, to to his his successor. Obviously, like that scheme is going to be more dependent upon the coach putting the quarterback in position than. It's, the quarterback making plays. So I think those three kind of things, looking at splits between pressure, no pressure, play action, no play action, um, and then and then third and long. So trying to isolate when the quarterback, when you can completely isolate a quarterback skill from, you know, places where, you know, uh, skill is sort of more, you know, environment is more influencing what happens than his skill set is. And, and maybe the best example that I can come up with for how much quarterback uh, numbers, the fantasy stats, the touchdowns, the interceptions, the yards, how much those can change from year to year and vary is Tom Brady. That uh, the year before they he got Moss and threw fifty touchdowns, he threw something like twenty four. And, and I mean, he didn't, he didn't right. double how good he was from that one year to the next. He got. Randy Moss and started throwing bombs down the field and letting Randy Moss catch them for touchdowns. And uh, I, I think that all of these things are, are very challenging to parse out because you do have the supporting cast. You do have the scheme. And I think we've seen quarterbacks be held back by scheme. And Nick Foles is probably that guy that under Chip Kelly, when he shows up in the league, the guy's great. He plays for Jeff Fisher. He can't play at all. He plays for uh, Doug Peterson, and all of a sudden he can play again. And uh, there are a lot of quarterbacks like that. And then there are also the tiny samples that we deal with for quarterbacks who have pop-up seasons and and figuring out was Case Keenum really this good or was he not this good. I, I think we clearly know how the Vikings feel about that. But in the past, Eric, we've seen other quarterbacks all of a sudden at age 30 years old get their first starting job and go on Jake DeLome, I know you're a fan of. I mean, but guys have done this, where they've gotten their first job in their late 20s or 30s, and then all of a sudden uh, they've been a good quarterback for a long time. So it does happen. Yeah, and, and again, it's like that It's that platform. And at the same time, though, I think 
if, if you and I are, you know, I, I just really enjoyed how Jake Dillon played the game, right? But the Panthers made a mistake by extending, you know, they gave him a huge contract, I believe, after 2007 or 2008, and he was never the same, right? Mm-hmm. You know, because when you give a, a when you give the quarterback that much money, you have to go around the rest of the team and and you know slice off pieces, right? And so you know, if the Vikings defense is giving up three less three fewer points a game because they can you know they can you know mitigate offenses better with better personnel, then Case Keenum's going to be in better positions, right? If they give up three more points per game, then Kirk Cousins is probably going to have to come up. You know, he's going to have to pick up that slack, and I think. Where, where I think the debate comes in with us, which is never, is Kirk Cousins good or not? It's, is Kirk Cousins impervious to outside influences enough to be worth that kind of money? Because when we look at quarterbacks like Russell Wilson, right, Seah- the Seahawks, you know, they won the Super Bowl with him on his rookie deal, but since he signed the big contract, they've had to do a lot of, like, soul-searching on the roster, right? Do we invest in the offensive line? The answer at first was no, and now it's yes, right? Do we... They, they won the Super Bowl with all undrafted wide receivers, right? Those kind of things. You kind of have to go through. You have to be creative about how you tweak the rosters around. And yet, because Russell Wilson is a top-tier elite quarterback, they've won the, the minimum that they've won is nine games. And, of course, if, if they didn't have Blair Walsh last year, they would probably would have won 11 games. Right. So, like, to me, that's the, the question about Cousins is, like, you know, is he going to – what if what if John D. Filippo is great this year? They they, they they get uh, to the second round of the playoffs, they get bounced, and he leaves, and inevitably the, the, the offensive coordinator they're going to get is not going to be as brilliant as he or Shermer. Like, what happens in that event? Like, for a guy like Wilson, a guy like Rogers, a guy like Brady, Breeze, the answer is probably not much. With yeah. a guy like Cousins, you know, it, it becomes – I think it's the answer is probably – a great deal, and in that case, you're sort of stuck uh, with with that contract. It, it does feel like beyond 2018, it's very hard to see what the future of the Vikings will look like, and, and eventually, uh, great veteran players that you've had for a long time, eventually they start to, to drift or they start to look for new contracts, and there's a bunch of different scenarios we could run through, but I, it's really hard to see how it plays out beyond this year. But, Eric, with Kirk Cousins... Are the Vikings as legitimate of a Super Bowl contender as they are being talked about as? Uh, no. I mean, if you look at the if you look at the odds, I haven't looked at these in a while. There were something like twelve to one to win the Super Bowl in one of the sports books. Not that you know, but that's far too that's far too do uh, I think generous for them. Um, I think if you look at the Vikings with a sort of a sober lens. 13 and three last year, probably fundamentally, probably more like 11 and five, 10 and six. So I, you know, when we talk about the team moving forward, I think that has to be kind of the assumption. And so, you know, you got the outlier season from Keenum, assuming Cousins meets that, right? Then you have to start asking questions about, okay, is the defense going to be as healthy as they were? Um, is the special teams going to be like their punter was brilliant last season, right? Um, are they? You know, is the is the schedule going to be as easy, right? Like nobody could have – I don't think people would have, you know, thought that the – for example, the AFC North that they played this season was going to be as bad as the, the, they, that they got uh, in their schedule, right? Um, they play the – I believe the NFC West, which looks like a murderer's row now, right? Like mm-hmm. their you know, schedule differential is going to play a big deal into that. Um, and then, you know, I know Dalvin Cook was hurt. I know a lot of – you know, they had a lot of games without Remmers, without Reed. Uh, so that that is understood. 
um, but they had Kyle Rudolph for an entire season. That hasn't happened, you know, as much as it, it probably should. Stephon Diggs was relatively healthy. Thielen was healthy. And the backs that they had that played behind Cook were very good uh, and healthy. So, you know, all of those things, I think you really have to start the conversation at somewhere like 10-6, and 11-5, in which case you might not get that home playoff game. You might not, you know, be in the mix to, to have a few breaks go uh, like they did for the Vikings in the playoffs against the Saints, for example. And, and to me, I just think, for example, 12-1 to 1 is just simply too high. Um, and I, I'd probably have to update that. It might have gone up with Cousins. And, and in that event, I, I just I don't see them being as, as favorable going to the Super Bowl and winning it as you know, maybe public consensus would say. How much better are the Chicago Bears for you now? I mean, I, you know, this is a, we're starting to see a lot of these teams become smarter, right? Like Kansas City putting weapons around Mahomes. I think what the Bears, what the Bears have done is fantastic, right? You, they, they, couldn't, they couldn't have foreseen Cameron Meredith getting hurt in, in preseason last year. Um, Zach Miller is also a good tight end, basically almost lost his leg uh, in a game against New Orleans. And then they go out and they get Trey Burton, who, you know, is, is sort of a speculative signing, but I, I sort of liken him to Vitante Shenko when he signed with Minnesota. Very athletic guy, hasn't gotten a chance. Give the guy a chance. You know, um, Allen Robinson's a very good receiver um, when situations are okay. The numbers he, he put up with Blake Bortles at quarterback, I think, speaks to him as he sort of moves forward uh, in this league. Uh, Taylor Gabriel is, again, another player where if used properly, and, and Matt Nagy is the, the head coach of the, the Chicago Bears, has done a very good job with players like Tyree Kill, um, players like Kareem Hunt, DeAnthony Thomas, so that kind of like sort of shifty wide receiver screen type uh, skill set. So I think that he favor, you know, he's favorable there. Um, Tariq Cohen's a very good back to and Howard's a pretty good back, an offensive line that, that has been solid. I think they probably could you'd be better off a right tackle. And then their defense a season ago, was something like top 10 in our rating system. They were very good. Uh, and so, you know, I, I do think that they're a dark horse there. It all, again, depends upon how good the Trubisky is. Do you have a, uh, before I let you go, a favorite signing, a, a one move that you thought, boy, this team really nailed it. doesn't have to be under the radar. can be the most obvious one, but where some team really crushed it other than Drew Brees coming back to New Orleans. Cause uh, what a great contract that is for the saints. Yeah. I mean, so to be something of a, of a Homer here, I do like the Sheldon Richardson signing. I do think that, you know, only a one year commitment. He's been kind of the player that has thrived in that situation. I do like that quite a bit. Um, I'm, I'm also, I'm also a fan of the Richard Sherman signing in San Francisco for kind of that same reason and that the money was very team favorable. San Francisco appears to be a team that is not going to rest on their, on their, uh, you know, on their uh, laurels um, from, you know, winning the last five games. But the one I would say, you know, sort of top to answer your question, I really like the Patrick Robinson signing with the Saints Mm -hmm. because, you know, the Saints really struggled a season ago. I think they gave up, like uh, we had the article on pro football focus about the value of slot cornerbacks. It was last week. But essentially, if you get a guy in that position and that's his role and he's good at it, you know, you can, you can be a sort of a next level defense. And Robinson really struggled as kind of an outside corner since being drafted by the Saints. Uh, moved inside with Philadelphia was fantastic. Last season, they struggled there with trying to put Kenny Vaccaro there. He got hurt. And as we saw in the playoffs, like they did a very good job with Jarius Wright um, and, and Adam Thielen sort of going at that position and, and were successful there. So, I think that the, the sort of the Saints again not resting on a really good season a year ago 
you know, impacting that defense, you know, giving giving that defense an, ex, an extra boost, uh, you know, making, you know, two years ago, I think we said privately like the, you know, anybody could have scored on the Saints two years ago, and now they actually look like a, a top 10 defense, um, you know, provided that they can get pass rush. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, I always appreciate your time, and I uh, look forward to some draft conversation soon. I hope you're turning yourself from your free agency analytics to what you can soon tell me about which guard the Vikings will be drafting at number 30 overall. Oh, I can't wait. (laughs) Yeah, me too. Uh, That's right. We are turning the page to the draft. So, Eric, I always appreciate your help and uh, good analysis. People should follow you on Twitter. Was it just Eric Eager? Sir Dash? PFF underscore Eric Eager. All right, very good. Well, follow him on Twitter and his work on profootballfocus.com, and we appreciate you listening, as always, to the Purple Podcast. This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Bakers, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Bakers, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have plenty of Christmas trees to make your holidays even more magical. Hundreds of full, easy-to-assemble artificial trees that look so real you may be convinced they actually are. And for those who love that fresh pine smell, we have a parking lot full of fresh-cut trees to call your own. We'll even help you load your tree in the car so you can bring home the holidays. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.